Tonight we sang several songs that mentioned the word justify. That was by design. Um, one of those that we sang was um, complete in thee. Yea, justified, oh what? Oh, blessed thought. You know, that would be a better title for this message. Justified, oh, blessed thought. <laughs> and, uh, and the choir sang the Christmas cantata, the wonderful song. They also repeated it last Sunday. Justified. And, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think part of revival is, is not just um, that the unsaved uh, come into the church and hear the gospel and so forth, but by one sense, they're attracted to the gospel because we have the joy of our salvation. And sometimes we get overly analytical of ourselves as believers, and God wants us to sometimes take a time out and say, wait, have you stopped to think about what I've done for you? And let's unpackage a little bit of that tonight, and let's get glad in the Lord. Let's let the older men, the elder brothers, let them be glad in the Lord. Let the younger men, let's let them see the older men be glad in the Lord. And, you know, it's not like, you know, when we talk about revival, let's have revival. Okay, I'll be happy for two weeks. Then after that, it's back to the nasty now and now. You know, the sweet by and by versus the nasty now and now. You know, it's not like that. You know, I had one of my boys, this is kind of funny, one of the boys, he used to really turn on the tears when he was in trouble. And uh, so we'd go have, you know, that discipline time upstairs in my bedroom, and uh, he would have the most pitiful look and tears coming down. And I'd say, uh, stop crying. And he would stop. i say, I thought to myself, what would happen if I said cry? Okay, cry. You know, it's like sometimes, you know, if we're not careful, we're going through the motions. We're going to have revival. Yay. Okay, stop being happy. Okay. You know, come on. Let's, let, let's experience a revival that endures. And let's encourage each other until the race is finished and the work is done. Let's do that. Let's exhort one another daily and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The day of what? The day of Christ's return. And so I just want us today, tonight, well in advance of a revival, to get excited and get our joy, and let's let the unsaved be drawn, not because it's our duty with a revival coming, but because we've ourselves been revived. See, the unsaved can't be revived. There's no life to revive. They've been dead. They're dead in Christ. But we who are alive, we can become, as Paul writes in Hebrews, we can become dull of hearing. And revival is when we wake up. When we wake up, God's people, and we examine ourselves, and judgment must begin at the house of God, and we judge ourselves before communion on a regular basis. That's a checkpoint for revival. And so revival shouldn't be this customary thing. Twice a year, we're, I'm going to be happy about my faith. Twice a year, I'm going to be happy to be a Christian. Don't ask me to do it any other other time. All right, but this is something that we want that will endure. And will not Brother Tozer do a good job for the kingdom and for us? We've heard him before. He's going to do a great job. He's going to preach his heart out. And uh, it would be good for him to experience the exhortation and the amen of God's people as he preaches the word. We sang this morning, brethren, we have met to worship. Will you pray with all your power as we try to what? Preach the word, the old song says. Oh, wow. And then it says at the end of that old song, uh, 
that he will uh, spread sweet manna all around. Don't you want that, spiritually speaking? Don't you want to experience the sweet manna of revival? It was provided for God's people daily, daily in the wilderness. And God doesn't want us to be, you know, feasting on weeds. He wants us to experience his manna every day. Well, part of that is uh, revisiting these important, glorious truths. The believer's glorious justification tonight. You see, the death of Christ is the basis for acceptance with God. The death of Christ. Not any good works of us. Not anything that we could do that could merit God's attention. I could not die for my own sins and atone for my own sins. If I died for my sins, it was because I was a sinner. Jesus died for our sins undeserved. He was perfect, innocent, spotless, sinless, son of God. And he died, the innocent, for us, the guilty. The death of Christ is that basis for our acceptance with God. That Christ's death makes hell-deserving sinners, like as we were outside of Christ, acceptable before God, is gloriously expressed in several doctrines in the book of Romans, and in Romans 3 particularly, but some of those I'll call your attention to. One of those is redemption. Redemption, Romans 3, 24. Reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 19 to 21. Forgiveness, what a glorious word. Forgiveness, Romans 3, 25. Deliverance, Colossians 1, 13. Acceptance in the beloved, Ephesians 1, 6. By the way, This is Christ accepting us. Some people mistakenly say, will you accept Christ? No. No, it's Christ accepts you. You receive Christ. You don't accept Christ. Who are you to accept Christ? He accepts you. You receive Him and you receive the gift of eternal life. So, acceptance in the beloved, Ephesians 1.6. And then we are assured of mutual future glorification someday, Romans 8.30 future glorification, and then the blessed term mentioned in verse 24 of our text tonight, Romans 3, 24, being justified, justification, verse 24. So this word justification, it needs a little further explanation, and we'll visit it more than once in the message, but it means to justify, it means to declare one righteous, to declare one righteous. It doesn't necessarily mean to make one righteous as much as it means to declare one righteous. And we're going to get into the weeds of that in just a moment. But some simplify the understanding of the word justified with a nice phrase. Just as if I never sinned. Justified. Just as if I never sinned. Isn't that a clever way of defining it? I like that. It's a judicial term. It's a legal term indicating that a verdict of acquittal of exoneration, has been announced, and so excluding all possibility of condemnation. And like in American uh, jurisprudence and our justice system here in in the United States, there's no chance ever of double jeopardy. Praise God. In Scripture, justification is uh, often set against an opposing term, condemnation. Justification versus condemnation. We're going to look at some of the verses that mention that. First is in Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 1. And Do we have that on screen? I can't remember. 
And, uh, and so Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 1, Romans 5 verse 16, and Romans 8. Let's see, you're in Romans already. Let's go to Romans 5 16. Let's look there. Romans 5 16, it says, And not as it was by one that sinned, so was the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Oh, what a glorious word. And so Romans 8 chapter, uh, Romans chapter 8 now in verse 33, look with me there. Romans 8 and verse 33 says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? I love that line. I dare you, seems like Paul is saying. I dare you. Who shall do it? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Hallelujah. And, uh, and so uh, verse 34 reads, Who is he that condemneth? There it is. Justification, condemnation, they're always uh, parallel, close to one another. Verse 34, It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. It doesn't say who made intercession for us. It says he maketh intercession for us. He continues to make intercession for us. And I'm so glad tonight I have an intercessor. I'm so glad I have good legal representation up in heaven. Jesus Christ the righteous. And so um, justification is always accomplished on a wholly just basis, meaning specifically that the claims of God's law against the sinner have been fully satisfied. God's claims of His own law, His holy, perfect, just law, including the Ten Commandments, His claims against the sinner have been fully satisfied. Did you get that? Fully satisfied. How? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to get there. Wednesday night here in this space right here, we heard an instrumental trio play, Rock of Ages Cleft for Me, Let Me Hide Myself in Thee. Right after that, we then sang the hymn, Rock of Ages. And you know, Pastor Peterson has quoted this song frequently in the last six months. He's quoted Rock of Ages. Uh, He's never said, hey, Pastor Troy, will you please lead us in Rock of Ages? Not once he's ever said that to me. But uh, I I stumbled across this quote in Jerry Bridges' incredible book called Respectable Sins. Respectable Sins. And uh, he references this. Here's the quote. By the way, the the hymn Rock of Ages was written by uh, a man in the 18th century named Augusta Toplady. And so Augusta Toplady, he writes, Augusta Toplady's hymn speaks of, Be of sin the double cure. What does that mean, the double cure? Bridges says that is cleansing from both sin's guilt and power. God does, not in, uh, God does indeed cleanse us from sin's guilt through the death of His Son. But then this quote really grabbed me. God does not forgive because He wants to be lenient with us. Let that sink in. He forgives because His justice has been satisfied. Glory. That is a glory. And then there's this meme. You know what a meme is. It's one of those picture graphs that shows up on your Facebook or in Twitter or something. This meme really got my attention years ago. It says, I've given God countless reasons not to love me. None of them has been strong enough to change him. 
wow, none of them has been strong enough to change him. To change him from what? From loving us. That's a great quote. So, Bridges goes on to say, the absolute forgiveness of our sins is just as rock solid as the historic reality of Christ's death. Do you believe he, will, he really lived and died? Do you believe that tonight? Your justification is just as sure as the historical occurrence that he lived and died and rose again. So justification is not because of any overlooking or suspending or altering of God's righteous demands. He didn't say, okay, I'm going to look the other way. I, I, I didn't see that. I didn't see that happen. No, but because in Christ, all of God's holy demands have been righteously fulfilled. Christ's perfect life of obedience to the law that I could never do, I could never attain, and His atoning death which paid the law's penalty are the bases for our justification. Look at Romans 5 verse 9. Romans 5 verse 9, it says much more than being now justified by His what? By His blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. I did not shed my own blood for my sin. Paul writes again in Hebrews, Ye have not yet striven unto death, striving against sin. Okay? None of us have, have come to that place. Well, I'm going to die before I give in to that temptation. Now, Jesus died and never gave in to temptation. Um, Justification could never be based on our good works, for God requires perfect obedience. And that is impossible for men, perfect obedience. So let's talk about the means of justification. It is faith. We're in Romans 3. We're going to look at several verses. Go back with Romans 3. Look at verse 22. It says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that what? That believe. For there is no difference. And then look with me at verse 25. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. Remember we sang that in one of our hymns tonight. Brother Terry let us propitiation one. And uh, propitiation. It means simply that Jesus is our mercy seat. Propitiation through faith in his blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Then look with me at verse 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Without deeds of the law. And then look with me at verse 30. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. We can all get to heaven through Christ, whether circumcised or uncircumcised, whether Jew or Gentile, we can come to Christ. We can get to heaven. So the means of justification is faith. Faith is never the ground of justification. It is the means or the channel through which God's grace can impute to the believing sinner the righteousness of Christ, that God can impart or impute the righteousness of Christ. So when we believe all that Christ is, God puts it to our account. Therefore, we stand in the holy court of law of God. We stand acquitted. 
And then God can justly announce to all within earshot, all within the heavenly realm, He can announce that acquittal and that pronouncement is justification. And so the believer is righteous because he is in Christ. God can announce that he, the sinner, that me, that we, that us are righteous. And that declaration, that announcement, that pronouncement is justification. So there's a list of results uh, of salvation, benefits of salvation, that could include hundreds of things tonight, you know? Um, there's an old hymn that says that in Christ are 10,000 joys. 10,000 joys. We could speak tonight for hours and scratch only the surface of the benefits of salvation and the joys in Christ. So I only intend uh, uh, some principal things that God has done for us, is doing and will do on the basis of the complete sacrifice of Christ. The justification, the meaning of it, we've spent a little bit of time on that, a little bit more now. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the words used for justified or justify mean to announce or pronounce a favorable verdict to declare righteous. And the concept doesn't mean to make righteous. Be careful here. It doesn't mean to make righteous, but it means to announce as being righteous. It is a courtroom concept. It's a legal concept so that to justify is to give that public verdict of righteous. Notice the contrast between these verses and whether to justify or condemn. Verse Deuteronomy 25 verse 1. I think it's on screen for you there. It says, if there be a controversy between men and that the judges may judge them, then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. There's the relationship again. Justify, condemn. Also, we see it again in 1 Kings 8.32. Then hear thou in heaven and do and judge thy servants, condemning the wicked to bring his way upon his head, and justifying the righteous to give him according to his righteousness. Proverbs 17, verse 15. He that justifieth the wicked, and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. So just as announcing, condemnation doesn't make a person wicked, neither does justification make, make a person righteous, okay? Condemning or justifying announces the actual state of the person. The wicked person is already wicked, it's just that it's now been announced or pronounced. The righteous person is already righteous when the verdict of justification is announced. That's a glory there. Let's talk about next the problem of just injustification. Since it's a legal term, it's a, it's a legal idea, justification is related to the concept of God being judge. God being judge. And this theme, as you know, is found throughout the Bible. Abraham acknowledged God as the judge of all the earth who had to do what was right. Genesis 18.25, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? In the Song of Moses, God's justice and righteousness were rehearsed. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, He is the rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. Paul called, the, called God the righteous judge in 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. 
The writer of Hebrews called God the judge of all. And then James reminds his readers that the judge stands at the door. Look at James 5 verse 9. It's on the screen, I believe. It says, Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Grudging equals condemnation, he says. And then he says this, the reason why. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. So God has acted as a judge since his creation. And so if God the judge is perfect in justice and completely righteous in all of his decisions, then how can he announce or declare a sinner righteous when we know we're not? And sinners we all are. We already read tonight, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are only three options that I see that God has as to sinners to stand in his courtroom. And those are these. Number one, he has a choice to either condemn sinners. Or number two, he can compromise his own righteousness to receive them as they are. Or number three, somehow, some way, God change and changes them into righteous people. I like the latter. So if he makes a way to change sinners into righteous people, then he can announce them righteous, which is then justification. First he makes righteous, then he announces righteous, that we are righteous, justification. But any righteousness the sinner has has to be still actual righteousness, not theoretical righteousness, not fictitious righteousness. It must be real, not imagined, acceptable by God's standards, not even a wee bit short of that which God calls righteous. And so if, if this could be accomplished, then and only then can He rightly, righteously, equitably justify sinners. Now Job Uh, stated the problem this way when he said in Job 9 verse 2, how can a man be right before God? Wow. I think we've all felt that way, especially before salvation. Next, I want to call your attention to the process in justification, the process. God does put into effect that third option. He changes sinners into righteous people. How? By making us, careful here, By making us the righteousness of God in Christ. This needs careful attention in our Bibles. Will you please turn to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. I don't care if it's on screen. I want you to look at it black and white in your Bible and revisit the joy of that again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And verse... 21. Oh, I hope it's highlighted in your Bible. It says, For he, God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us. Whoa. To be sin for us. But don't stop there. Who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, if you've got an argument with that, don't take it up with me. Go talk to Paul. He's available. I'll give you his 800 number. Take it up with Paul. He said that we are made the righteousness of God in him. Wow. 
So by making many righteous, then we found that in Romans 5.19 already, and by giving believers the gift of righteousness, that's Romans 5.17, we see that God makes people righteous. He makes many righteous. He gives believers the gift of righteousness. He makes us to be the righteousness of God in Him. So five steps are involved in God's process in justification. We, Pastor Rick read those in verse 21 to 26. First of all, Romans 3.21. Let's go back. Let's go back to Romans chapter 3. First of all, we see God's plan, the plan. Verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So God's plan for providing the needed righteousness, it's centered in Jesus Christ himself. And it was apart from the law. The construction of this verse is without some of the necessary articles. I won't dig in too much into the weeds there, but write down Acts 13.39 and visit that. Um, The plan, basically to say, is that it centers in a person. The plan isn't this little formula construct. The plan is the person, and the person is Christ. All right? And so next uh, uh, we see the prerequisite. That's in verse 22. In verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. Righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The object of saving faith is Jesus himself. You know the old song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. He is the object of our faith. He's the object of our belief. Salvation is a person. It's not a formula. And then number three, the price. Look with me at verses 24 and 25 again. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, verse 25, whom God hath set apart, or set forth rather, to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness. Notice it doesn't say to declare our righteousness. To declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Quite clearly, we see in this verse that the price has been paid, that the price was the blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ. And every time we take communion, we remind ourselves of the precious price that was paid for us, and we reflect on our Lord's vicarious death and life. All right, so the cost to God was the greatest. The cost to us was the cheapest because it comes to us freely by His grace. God's gracious offer. God's gracious provision. You know, I've witnessed to a number of people over the years and as I've got to the gospel, I've had people more than once, this is unusual, more than once in my witnessing to many people over the years as I've, as I've declared to them, you know, Christ died for us and He died for your sins and mine. And they'll stand back and look at me And they'll say, well, I didn't ask him to do that for me. As as if that is a good enough reason to reject the gospel. (laughs) It doesn't matter whether you asked him to do that for you or not. He did it for you. Now all you have to do is receive it. 
But, you know, someday those people who reject the gospel based upon that, well, I didn't ask him to die for me. You know, they think that believers are trying to perpetuate a guilt trip on them. No, not at all. They need to feel guilt for their sin. <laughs> and then they'll appreciate the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. They'll appreciate it. But someday their words will echo in their ears for eternity. I didn't ask him to do that for me. I didn't ask him to do that for me. I didn't ask him to do that for me. Oh, they'll have eternity to regret those words. So the price. Then uh, I call your attention to the position. When the individual receives Christ, he's placed in Christ. This is part of how we achieve justification. This is what makes you righteous. By being placed in Christ, we are made the righteousness of God in Him. In Him. Christ's righteousness alone overcomes our desperate, sinful conditions. It overcomes us trying to measure up to all the demands of God's holiness. You know, the most miserable people in the world are religious people who don't have Christ. They're trying to measure up. And they beat themselves up that they never measure up. Instead of simply receiving the righteousness of Christ. Hallelujah. It overcomes all of the religious good deeds that you would feel guilty about not achieving. Thank God for that tonight. Christ's righteousness alone overcomes our desperate sinful condition. And so I think of this. Being in Christ, I think of it this way. You remember in medieval times, they had jousting and uh, kings and knights would hop on the horse and they'd be covered in a coat of mail and, and armor and they would have their big jousting sticks and they would charge one another and try to knock each other off the horse. And, you know, that wasn't a love tap. You know, that was real deal. Full-blown horse speed. Men died <laughs> in jousting. But the point I want to make is that they felt a sense of protection inside the armor. And indeed, on occasion, it, it protected them from serious injury. But being in Christ is like being in that armor. <laughs> and, uh, and in Christ, the wrath of God will not condemn you. It's like being inside, a, for the young people, a giant metal robot. <laughs> and in that metal robot, you are impenetrable uh, from, the, from the condemnation of both uh, Satan and the world. And then last, I want to call your attention to the pronouncement. That's what justification is. It's the actual pronouncement. Look at verse 26 of Romans 3. It says, to declare. Oh, man, let your heart latch onto that. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So to say to a believer, you're not justified, is to accuse God. It's because God has already declared a believer to be justified. And so he has declared it, and he is just to do it. And he is himself the justifier. Thank God for that tonight. So that pronouncement, not only does Christ's righteousness, which we have, meet God's demands, but it also demands that God justify us. Not only does it meet God's demands, but it demands that God justify us. We are in fact, not in fiction, we are in fact, by God's glorious grace, 
we are declared righteous. Therefore, the holy God can himself remain just and justify the one who believes in the Lord Jesus, who sacrificed himself, who paid the debt for us. You know that old song? He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, the whole day long. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. I could never pay. Yeah, I could die, but it wouldn't pay for my sin. So thank God that Jesus' death accomplished so much for us. So therefore, no one can lay anything to the charge of God's elect. No one. For we are in Christ, righteous in God's sight. And this is why God can justify us. And then finally, not in the outline here, the personal practice of justification. It's proved by our personal practice. It says in Romans 6, uh, 6 verse 7, For he that is dead is freed from sin. You're not bound and compelled to sin any longer. No one's holding a gun to your head and saying, sin or die. No, you give in to the pull of the flesh as a believer now, but you're not bound to that. You're not, you don't have the can't help it. So you just make bad choices as a believer now. And so we stand acquitted from sin so that it no longer has dominion over us. So justification before the law bar of God it's demonstrated when we make righteous choices on a daily basis. Amen? Make righteous choices on a daily basis. That doesn't earn our salvation. It fleshes out the work of God to others and gives glory to God. Okay? Um, let your light so shine among men that they may see your what? Good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Have you heard of this uh, psychological condition called Stockholm Syndrome? Anybody heard of Stockholm Syndrome? Okay. Stockholm Syndrome is named after some captives that were taken hostage by terrorists in Stockholm, Sweden in, um, in, the, in the 60s or 70s. I can't remember the exact. But Stockholm Syndrome became a psychological condition named after what happened to the captives there. And it is a condition in which the hostages develop a psychological bond with their captors during captivity. They feel sorry for their, for their captors. Oh, the police are going to break down the door and they're going to shoot them. And we feel so bad. Here they've been hostages for days, weeks, months. And they feel empathy for their captors. And emotional bonds start to form between those captors and the captives. And, and uh, they enjoy even growing forgive, uh, friendship and intimacy together. And these are considered irrational in light of the danger or risk that are endured by those victims not getting enough you know, food and water and medical treatment because they're hostages. And so I think to myself, how many believers are in that condition of Stockholm Syndrome? They keep themselves willingly following after the flesh, captives of sin, just getting cozy with it, nursing it, empathizing it, nurturing it, while all the while... It's really keeping that believer in bondage, in bondage. 
So this final thought, justification assures us of peace with God, Romans 5. Our relationship with Christ, with God through Christ, is right, it's righteous, it's legal, and it's eternal, and it's settled in the court of heaven. Amen? And this is the foundation of our peace with God. Our reconciliation with God is justification by faith in Christ. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. How many of you say, Pastor, no one looking around, I'm, I'm 100% sure that I've experienced that salvation, justification. I'm 100% sure I've experienced that in my life. Could I see your hand if that's you? Amen. Amen. Not everybody can be 100% sure, but maybe there's some tonight that aren't. If you're here tonight and you're like, boy, that sounds good. I'm, I'm guilt-ridden. I really, want, I really want the freedom that you talk about being in Christ. Please pray for me. I'm not sure. If that's you, could I see your hand tonight? Anybody like that? I'm not 100% sure. Please pray for me. All right, thank God for that. And then, believer, tonight, are you living in a condition called Stockholm Syndrome? Are you nurturing your own captors, whether it's bitterness, sensuality, temporal values, envy, strife? Are you nurturing it? Are you free? How many of you would say tonight, no one looking around, Pastor, pray for me. I need some freedom there. Yes. Anybody else? Yes. Anybody else? Yes. Thank you. Yes. I see your hand. Yes. Anybody else? That's me. Lord, I pray that you would grant grace and freedom to your people tonight. And Lord, in light of revival coming, Lord, I pray that we would relish what we have already, justification through Christ. In thy name we pray, amen.